Thank you, Mr. McNair, and good morning, everyone. What a gorgeous morning we have, beautiful weather on this very special day. We have beautiful flowers, we have beautiful music, we have beautiful people. Couldn't get much better than that. And we're all here in peace and safety after a lovely day yesterday. So it really is special. Barbara and I have been traveling for the last few weeks visiting other church areas. So it really is special for us to be back home in Charlotte and certainly to be with you on this special day. <clears throat> you know, brethren, if you ask someone to describe uh, very significant events in the history of mankind, you'd probably get a variety of answers depending upon who you ask. Uh, for example, an educator might say, well, the invention of writing um, and later printing in 1450 A.D. was the most important thing because look at what's happened now with books and education and so on. So from their perspective, that might be the most important thing that's occurred. Uh, for an historian, uh, they might want to recount great battles in history that have been a turning of the tide, uh, like the, the fall of Babylon the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 A.D., maybe D-Day uh, in the last century when they stormed the beaches of Normandy with the largest uh, group of men, and army, and material that have ever been assembled. An incredible time. Many of you have visited there. Or it could have been the first detonation of atomic weapons. Obviously, that was a turning point in the history of mankind. Now, these are all significant things that have happened. But now a lawyer or a jurist might say to you, well, the signing of the Magna Carta on June 15th in 1215, when human rights were established in the British Empire, and things began to change there. And brethren, it's interesting. I visited Washington, D.C. recently, and one of three existing copies done at that time of the Magna Carta is in Washington alongside the Declaration of Independence and the, and the Constitution, and a very inspiring thing to see, something that was done in 1215. Now, a scientist or engineer would probably consider the discovery of electricity or maybe the computer or the unlocking of the genetic code as the most significant event in history. So I'm sure you could have spirited conversations with people from different fields of endeavor, different fields of expertise, about what was the most significant thing. Now, all of these events have had an impact. There's a big man in front here. <laughs> you know, when a big guy comes for the podium, you got to take notice. <laughs> and here I am without my mace. <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> for whatever technical difficulty you just took care of, thank you. All of these events that I've described, brethren, have had an impact or an effect on this world, on mankind, on living conditions, on the economy, on the environment, on the cosmos, that is, this age. All of those things have impacted all of us. But, brethren, there are events to which the world pays little heed, uh, which have, in reality, much more significance than any of these events that I have mentioned. Events recorded in your Bible of great of a great plan being carried out on this earth, an eternal plan so great in scope, so awesome in potential that it cannot be fully grasped without a special understanding, a special understanding that you've already heard a little bit about in the sermonette today in the offertory. Now, down through the ages, the Creator God has revealed this plan, His plan for reproducing Himself to bring sons and daughters into his family. He's revealed that to a few. And to the nation of Israel, he gave special knowledge and understanding with the details of a way of life that would bring health and prosperity, happiness and security. And sadly, for the most part, Israel rejected God's ways again and again and missed that opportunity. Now, as a part of that special knowledge, the Creator God revealed His holy days and instructions for keeping them. And again, we've already heard something about that. These days reveal this very special plan. Now, that's what brings us here today. As I said, beautiful people, you're all here with a smile. You're eager to hear what God has for you today. We're here on one of these annual high days that God commanded and which we, as His people, enjoy so much. 
And brethren, very important things have happened on these days and on this day. Now, let's look at the instruction concerning the holy days. Uh, Turn back to Leviticus 23. We've been there briefly this morning. Let's look again. Leviticus 23. You know, this is where the holy days are outlined, where we have the details. Leviticus 23. We'll start in verse 1. Leviticus 23, verse 1. And the Eternal spoke to Moses, who was God's representative at that time, leading his people, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Eternal, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, a commanded assembly, see, where we convoke, we come together. These are my feasts, not mankind's feasts, but the feasts of God. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord, the Eternal, in all your dwellings. Now, we did that yesterday. And you were here with smiles and enjoying the messages and so on, keeping that command. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the eternal holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. You see, God left nothing to chance. He appointed the time. He said when, and he says where these days are to be kept. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And certainly uh, we kept that solemn occasion here this year. And on the 15th day, verse 6, of the month, the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Eternal. Seven days you must eat uh, unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. We went through that. We kept that. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. Happily, we don't have to do that part. Jesus Christ's sacrifice made that part unnecessary. But it says, then the seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work in it. So, brethren, we read these verses, and we see that God has a plan, and he tells us how he wants us to do it. Now, drop down to verse 15. You can read all the verses in your own Bible study, but let's go to verse 15. He says, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought forth brought the sheaf, the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So here we see that we come to the day that we're observing today. This count 50. The, the, the Greek word is Pentecost. Now, that's a strange name. A one usually associated with uh, a denomination that does some strange carrying on. At least strange from our vantage point. Because, you see, that's because they don't understand. They don't understand the, the significance and what this is really all about. But we do see that we are to count 50. Going on, it says, you shall bring, in verse 17, you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of, fi- of an ephah, a measurement, you see, and they shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. And here we see the, no, the mention of first fruits. We've already heard again in the sermonette a little about the first fruits, and we'll look at more of that as the day goes on. And then, brethren, drop down to verse 21. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation, again, a commanded assembly. In other words, attendance is not optional if you're If you're able, physically and so on, you should be where God places his name. You shall do no customary work on it, on this holy convocation. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And we're several generations down from the time that this command and this ordinance was started. And yet, brethren, here we are doing the things that God tells us to do. So, brethren... Uh, Here we are, obeying this command to convoke. Now, what does it mean? What what does it picture? Uh, What are some of the significant things that have occurred, that have happened on this day? And then, brethren, why today? (laughs) I think questions that, as God's people, we need to be conversant with. We need to understand. For most of you, this is a review. You understand these things. But on these days, we rehearse, we go over we review these things so that it'll be in our minds. You know, I've said many times, and you're aware that uh, the experts will tell you that in a time of crisis and a time of stress, you will always revert to your training. So we go over these things. 
just as people in various fields drill and go over the things that they know. We do that as a part of God's church. This morning, brethren, let's answer these questions and others. And I hope that you'll go away from here today with a better understanding of the meaning of the day of Pentecost. Now, I asked about significant events. Let's look at some of the most important events in history which have occurred on this very day, the very day that we're keeping today. Turn back to Exodus chapter 19. Now, you students of the Bible know that this is in the time frame here of when the commandments were given. Exodus 19. Exodus chapter 19. We'll start in verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel, all of these people you see that were camped before the mountain. Now, in time order, as you look at this, this was coming up to the day of Pentecost. Verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord, or the Eternal, called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Brethren, this was physical Israel. As God's church, we are spiritual Israel. So there were physical things, and then the spiritual. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, First the physical, then the spiritual. These things were given then, but they apply to us today. Verse 4, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. We rehearsed that and went through that during the days of unleavened bread. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Those people were a special treasure. Not that God plays favorites, but he wanted to use them in a special way. Brethren, all of you, all of God's people are a special treasure to God. Set apart for special use. You are uh, belong to God. Verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now we're going on in verse 7. It says, So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them. He set before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. He gave them the details. Verse 8, Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Eternal has spoken, we will do. So here we have the basis of a legal binding agreement. We have an offer and we have an acceptance. We had a legal purpose, an offer, and an acceptance. So we have a binding agreement made here. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now, brethren, uh, as we see what's going on here, uh, very uh, incredible things that got the attention of the people certainly did happen. Drop down to verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of a trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Something special was happening. This wasn't an ordinary day. The trumpet was loud. They had thunderings and lightnings. All of these things are going on. Obviously, God is getting the people's attention. Look at verse 18. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord, the Eternal, descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And look at this, brethren. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. The, you know, the mountain was shaking. The mountain shook. So clearly, uh, uh, quite an event is going on here. And all of these people are seeing those things. And then, of course, we come to Exodus 20. And certainly, uh, the commandments were given. It says about tradition, and certainly it seems to be here. The commandments of God that are so important to all of us were given on the day of Pentecost. So, uh, brethren, we see that Again, very important things have happened. Now, while the commandments were enforced before Moses, they were codified and affirmed at this time and given in a way that there's no misunderstanding. Uh, Clearly, they were enforced before this date, but there they were given in a way after this offer and acceptance, and they're recorded for us. Surely, 
one of the great events in history. Now, uh, does that carry forward for us today? So many scriptures we could look at, brethren, but let's turn over to Romans chapter 7. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, was explaining to them about the commandments. You know, today people get confused about the commandments. You know, they're done away or they're not enforced, this sort of thing. And we won't read all of this, but we'll start in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Romans 7, verse 7. Uh, the words leading up this talking about the law. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Paul says, certainly not. <laughs> That's absurd, he would say. On the contrary. I would not have known sin except through the law. So clearly, brethren, if we look at this, we see that the law defines sin. You all know the scripture in 1 John 3, 4 by heart. I won't turn there. It says sin is lawlessness. The King James Version says it better, I think. Sin is the transgression of the law. What law? This law that we find Paul writing about right here. The Ten Commandments given on this day, anciently. So it's important, brethren, that we understand that. Drop down to verse 12. Is, is the law done away? Look at what Paul said, Romans 7, verse 12. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Now, why would God do away with that? <laughs> you see, obviously he has not, and it's here for us. You know, brethren, Dr. Meredith said, as the global church was beginning, I'll never forget it. He pointed out in one of his powerful sermons, he said, love without God's law is chaos. And if you think about it, we heard a lot yesterday about God's love. And how does it, the, the, the law is the channel through which we focus that love and put it into practice. So God's law is necessary. Love without God's law is chaos. Now, again, one of those great turning points in history. Let's look at Another one, turn over to Luke chapter 4. I can't prove this dogmatically, but we'll talk about it today. I've been reviewing the old correspondence course going way back. And it seems that Christ began his public ministry on the day of Pentecost. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So we see that Jesus Christ began that. Now, the word here translated Sabbath, according to a couple of translations that I've looked at, is not the usual word, but a word that means Sabbaths, plural, or weeks. And when you see that, and we find that over in Acts 13, where, where Paul was, uh, had to be somewhere by Pentecost, it's the same word. So it seems that Jesus Christ began his public ministry on this day. What an incredible time leading up to that. Now, another great event was prophesied to occur on this day. Turn over to uh, Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24. Verse 49, very inspiring account. Jesus Christ had gone through the awful ordeal of crucifixion, had died, had been resurrected, and was now getting ready to ascend. And these talking to the disciples, Luke 24, verse 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I'm sure they maybe were puzzled at that time, not really understanding what that really meant. He says, you, but tarry, that is, remain in the city of Jerusalem until you're imbued with power from on high. So here he uh, is telling them to wait. I, again, I'm sure they wondered what that meant. And yet, they do the scriptures, and many at that time knew that there had been a prophecy long before that talked about a great event. Turn back to Joel. The book of Joel, back in the... What are called the minor prophets? I always like to say they didn't know they were minor. I'm sure it was important to them. It, they're, they're the short prophets. Okay? Joel, 
chapter 2. Here's a prophecy of what we're talking about and what Jesus was telling them at that time. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maidservants I will, on them, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Very important. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. You can read the rest of it. He, this was a prophecy. Now, this time of pouring out of the Holy Spirit was also prophesied in Ezekiel and in Zechariah. And you can read those in your own personal Bible study and see that this was something that God intended to do all along. Now let's turn to a chapter over in Acts that you're very familiar with. Acts chapter 2, as we rehearse this and go over this this morning. Acts chapter 2. It's interesting, leading up to this day, the apostles had made arrangements uh, to, um, there were 11, and they, they had... Um, to choose someone else to take Judas's place. And they had two candidates. You read about this. Both were qualified. And in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse um, 25, it says, To take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Jesus by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots. So how did they decide on the new uh, apostle? They cast lots. Uh, of the way things were done in the Old Testament. And this is the last time you find casting of lots used. Why? Because later on, the Holy Spirit would guide the decisions that needed to be made. But then we pick up the story here on uh, Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, so they weren't there too early and they weren't late. <laughs> you know, they were, they were doing this according to God's plan. They were all with one accord, no dissension, uh, no differences of opinion in that regard. They were there in, in a court in one place. They knew where to be. And the, is, when we see this, they were following Jesus Christ's instructions to wait and following his example by observing Pentecost. So you see the harmony here in what they were doing. Then in verse 2 it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. You've probably all heard the sound of a rushing wind. You know, we have that here in the Piedmont when the thunderstorms come. And where I'm from, where, the, you know, the, you have high winds and the trees are moving. It, it's a, it makes a lot of noise. They heard that. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then verse 3, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one, each of these tongues... Uh, set upon each of them. So there was this physical manifestation, I'm sure, uh, just to confirm that something very special was happening that they could see. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. A miracle. Now they were speaking in languages that were uh, as a spiritual gift. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. These were people serious about their beliefs, people who knew the Bible that they had. They were devout men from every nation under heaven, a cosmopolitan group. You see, they went from all different areas. You know, in our audience here, you hear different accents and people from different parts of the world and different parts of the country. It was the same then, you see. They were there from a lot of different places. Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Probably an understatement. Might have been a little panic. <laughs> you know, a loud wind. Now this unusual sign. Now they're hearing languages. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled and said to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Probably had a southern accent is what I'm thinking. But they knew, you see, that, that, that they were not schooled in languages. Are, are they not Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language, our own dialect, 
in which we were born? It was a big question, obviously, and, and stirred them up, I'm sure. And who were these people? Look at verse 9. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. It wasn't Babel. It wasn't gibberish. It was about the wonderful works of God. Explaining to them, you know, about what God had done. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, at this point, God has their attention. <laughs> They're asking the right question. What does this mean? What does this mean? And look then at verse 13. Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. There's always going to be a few. There's always going to be a few, you see, that will, will find a way to try to mock or to uh, ridicule and to not believe. But then, let's look at verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them. Now, here's the man who uh, a short time before had denied Jesus Christ. And now he's standing up before this big crowd, you see. And what does he say? Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now he has the intestinal fortitude to say, you better listen. Heed. Heed my word. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He said, hey, it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> They're not drunk, you see. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And I read that to you earlier, so I won't read that here, brethren. It's a direct quote from what we read back in Joel about God saying that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It was a, it was a bold sermon. He was speaking powerfully, holding nothing back to let these people know, while God has their attention, what is going on. They ask the question, and he is explaining this to them. Now, Look down at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when they heard this, when they heard that powerful sermon, when they heard Peter laying it on the line and telling them what uh, the, the answer to their question, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were moved. They were deeply moved. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The right question. All of us in our lives come to a point where we ask the question, what shall we do? When we begin to understand what God is doing, when he, we understand that he has a plan, when we understand that we need to change and repent and be a part of that, we ask the question, man and brethren, what shall we do? And we see, brethren, Peter knew. And I'm sure this was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said to them, repent. He said to them, change. You know, nobody likes to change. Why did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others hate Jesus Christ? One of the main reasons was because he, it was a message of change. He said, what you're doing is not acceptable. You have to change. What did Peter say? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. An incredible time. An incredible message delivered in a way that many, many people heard it and certainly understand it. Uh, look at verse 40. And with many other words, so he expounded the scriptures and talked about a lot of different aspects, I'm sure. He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, this crooked generation. Now, I'm sure their generation was crooked back then because it involved human beings. But as we come down to this time, I think maybe ours is even more crooked. You read the paper every day. Think Bernie Madoff, who made off with all that money. <laughs> think about all of these others who, uh, it's, it's, it is a crooked and perverse generation. Look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word, and brethren, some didn't respond. 
but many did. And today, we are on the telecast, half a million more, every people see our broadcast, and that's growing. Uh, they hear the message, but not many respond. And that was back at that time. Many heard. Some responded, but some don't respond. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls, 3,000 lives were added to them. An incredible time, brethren. Jesus Christ had only 120 people after three and a half years. But with the Holy Spirit being given, with these miracles and signs being given, with the power that was poured out here, 3,000 in one day. Brethren, God can accomplish great things with His Holy Spirit. How does He accomplish things today? The same way, by His Holy Spirit. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy, where we have some insight about the Holy Spirit. Some people misunderstand about the Spirit and don't really understand that this is how God accomplishes His will. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Here, Paul writing to young Timothy, his protege, his student. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writing to him says, Therefore I remind you, and brethren, we are reminded when we come here each week, when we come for the holy days, when we go over these scriptures, we are reminded. Paul reminded Timothy, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And those of you that have been baptized and have had hands laid upon, have that same Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. For God is, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is, that is the attribute of God's Spirit, being able to, to have a sound mind, to take a set of facts and come up with the right decision, to have a godly approach rather than an ungodly approach. It's something that requires God's intervention, and he gives that to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And I know we ask for that. You ask for that each day, that God would guide you by his Holy Spirit. And if he is guiding you, and I know that he does, you'll have a spirit of love, that outgoing concern, and of a sound mind, making the right decisions. Now, this is not the only place that this is talked about. This is not just a New Testament thing. It was also talked about back in the Old Testament. Turn back to Zechariah. Here we see another familiar scripture about the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, chapter 4. <clears throat> Zechariah, chapter 4. And verse 6. <clears throat> Zechariah 4, verse 6. <clears throat> so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the eternal to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was being used by God to rebuild the temple, and he is in the lineage of Christ. This is the word of the eternal to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the eternal of hosts. So we don't require great power, political power, financial power, other types of power, military power. That's not how God accomplishes His will. It's not by might. It's by His Holy Spirit. How was this universe created? How was this earth created? What brings us here today? The Holy Spirit, brethren. That's how God works. That's how He accomplishes His will. So, brethren, as we read these scriptures, we see that the church of God, of which you are a part, was launched on that day of Pentecost in 31 A.D., and brethren, we are, as you heard in the sermonette, a continuation of that work. We are a continuation of the Jerusalem church. We are a spiritual organism. Now, we, are, we have a corporate identity, but that's not who the church is. That's just to satisfy the laws of the land because they want to know who we are and what we're doing, and they want to look at our books. <laughs> that's fine, but that's not who the church is. And so we are a spiritual organism. Turn it back to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians talks about what the church is and its spiritual connection, its spiritual component. Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 8. 
Paul wrote, for you were once darkness. And that describes all of us. You know, we, we come out of this world. We come out of various habits and things that we have done, many of which we're not proud of. You know, we were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And brethren, as you go about your daily walk, your daily routine, you may not be aware of it, you may not think about it, but you are a child of light, and you are noticed. The fact that uh, you keep the Sabbath is not lost on your neighbors. The fact that you conduct yourself in a certain way is not lost on the people in your workplace. Um, it's The things that you do are being seen. You are children of light. Verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit <clears throat> is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You know, brethren, as we live our lives, as Christians, we ask that question. Is this thing that I'm about to do or say, uh, is, it, is it acceptable to the Lord? Is it on His standard? You know, if we compare ourselves with the world, we look great. <laughs> Come on. But if we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, if we compare ourselves to the standard, we don't look so good. And so that's what we have to do. We have to ask and find out what is acceptable to the Lord. It requires the Holy Spirit to have that attitude, to have that approach. And so, brethren, it's what we want to do. That's who we are as the church of God. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. An awful lot here about the Holy Spirit. We'll just look at one aspect. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, Paul said to those folks back then, and it's recorded for us, Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. He's saying live in the Spirit and on a daily basis. You know, when you, as it says in the Old Testament, when it talked about what to do, it says when you rise up and when you lie down, when you come in and when you go out. <laughs> you see, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And brethren, it's God's church. That's our approach. That's what we should be doing. And that is walking in the Spirit. So <clears throat> we can see, brethren, how God has used this day to accomplish His will down through time. It's very important. But brethren, <clears throat> there, is, there is even more to the meaning of this day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a day of firsts. And we've looked at some of those. It's, it's, it's the day when the law was first given. It's the day God's Spirit was given. It's a day of firsts. But clearly there are other things to look at as well. Turn back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Back to the beginning. Always a good place to start. Exodus Exodus chapter 34. <clears throat> Exodus 34, verse 21. Here it talks about the Sabbath. Exodus 34, <clears throat> verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Interesting to kind of throw that in because some people would like to keep the Sabbath when it's convenient. Well, obviously, you farmers know that uh, uh, when it's time to get the crop in, it's not convenient. Or when, when the harvest is ready, it wouldn't be convenient. But he says in plowing time and in harvest, we are to keep this day. Set aside those things. They're important things to do. Nothing wrong with doing those things, but you have to do them in their time. And do God's will in His time. And so it's it put that there for us to, to learn. Look at verse 22. And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks. We're doing that today, brethren. That's another name for this day. Of the first fruits of wheat, harvest, and of the Feast of Ingathering in year's end, that would be the Feast of Tabernacles that we'll uh, be keeping in the fall. Verse 23 Three times in the year, all your men. And they were the heads of the household, special emphasis on them. We're very happy that you ladies are here, you see. But it was a special responsibility on the heads of household. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the eternal, the Lord God of Israel. 
So here we see that this, this season that we're in right now is the Feast of Weeks of first fruits. First fruits. Very important. Now, God used the harvest seasons in Palestine uh, as the pattern of his spiritual harvest. They had a small harvest in the spring and then a much greater harvest in the autumn. We, brethren, are in that first harvest. We're that small harvest, the, 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 the first fruits. And certainly as we go through this, we'll see that God has a plan that encompasses all of mankind. No one will be left out. Right now we're just, uh, you know, a few grains of salt, as it were. But there's coming a time when the whole world will understand these things. Turn back to Leviticus 23. We were there earlier, but we didn't read this part. Turn to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, <clears throat> verse 9. Leviticus 23, verse 9. <clears throat> and the Lord spoke to Moses, the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So something special was to be done here. This was uh, for them to acknowledge something. Verse 11, <clears throat> he, shall weigh, he, the priest, shall wave the sheaf before the eternal to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Again, we don't have to do that bloody sacrifice part of this. Christ's sacrifice makes that unnecessary, but the principle is here. Verse 13, its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the eternal for a sweet aroma, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. It says you shall neither eat bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought in an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So here we see this wave sheaf that they harvested at that time. And they weren't to finish the harvest or enjoy the, the fruit of the harvest until they had made this offering. And brethren, this wave sheet pictured the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's what it pictured. And I'm sure they wondered <laughs> back at that time why they were doing this. They did it because they were instructed. But we can look back and see, as we look at the Scriptures, that this physical thing that they did long ago pictured something that was going to happen spiritually down in time. And it pictured the resurrected Jesus Christ being offered to God. Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. We see Paul, who was so schooled in the law, uh, writing about this. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, a church that had lots of problems. And Paul was there to help straighten them out. And so many wonderful principles that we find here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, we know this is the resurrection chapter. talks about the resurrection. talks about, again, as I said earlier, first the physical and then the spiritual. And so we have these wonderful principles that are there. But we pick up what we want to look at here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Thank God for that, brother. Thank God for that. And has become the first fruits. There's that word again. Of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus Christ has become the first fruits of the dead. The only one that's ever been resurrected to spiritual life from the dead. Now, there were some who were resurrected in time back to physical life as a sign and wonder. But Jesus Christ is the only one that has been resurrected to spiritual life. The first fruits of those have fallen asleep. What an incredible understanding to have, brethren, to know that Jesus Christ, that, that the great God, has power over death. You know, as physical human beings, we have a beginning and we have an end. You read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. We know there's a time to be born, Solomon said, and there's a time to die. And yet we know that there, it is given once for man to die, but then the resurrection. 
incredible knowledge. And we read about these things today and see that Jesus Christ is the first fruit uh, of the dead. Turn over to Colossians. The book of Colossians. Here we read more about that. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's start in verse 13. Colossians 1, verse 13. Talking about Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 15, brethren. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Incredible. The firstborn. That is Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's incredible knowledge to understand that. Drop down to verse 18. Who is He? Who is this firstborn? Verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. Who is in charge of the church of God? Pretty clear. Jesus Christ. We certainly have our human leaders that sort of thing. But the head, of Jesus, the head of the church is Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Could anything be more plain? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Very important, brethren, that we as God's people understand that. And I know that you do. This is a review. This is a rehearsal. But it's still uh, a wonderful thing to review, to remember, remember these incredible truths. Now, turn back to Romans. Again, Paul writing to the church of Rome, and here's very encouraging information for us. Very encouraging information. Knowledge that sets us apart. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 28, Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. That's an incredible thing to understand because from time to time, bad things happen to good people. Things that we don't understand happen. We are puzzled and perplexed, and yet we come back to this and we know that all things work together for good. And sometimes we look back and say, so wow, so that's what God had in mind. It worked out after all. So we have to, it requires faith and it requires understanding, but that's something we can count on. Look at verse 29, Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ is the first. But brethren, we come behind. We will also be uh, uh, born from the dead. We understand that we will have eternal life. An incredible thing. We're, Jesus Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. Now, brethren, the religions of this world, Catholic and Protestant and Muslim and others, all of these hodgepodge of religions that are there simply do not understand this at all. They just do not understand this at all. I had a sad thing happen. It was humorous in one way and a little sad recently at a wedding. Um, someone who believed in reincarnation. And that this actually happened. There was this beautiful cardinal single, singing. And uh, one of the ladies says, look, Daddy's talking to us. You know, and I'm sad for this lady. She thinks that, you know, her departed father is singing to her in the birth. People don't understand. They have all kinds of weird ideas. And yet, brethren, the truth that God has revealed to us is so much more comforting. Now, I grew up. Uh, in a Baptist church, uh, and when I was a little boy, I asked the question about all those who had died but who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And I was told by my Sunday school teacher, well, son, that's why we have to get everybody saved because if they die, they're burning in hell. And I just thought that was awful. <laughs> I couldn't understand it. Later, as I was an adult and I was coming into God's truth, I went to see uh, my Baptist minister. Took my Bible, went into his study, and we had a long discussion. And I asked him the same question. And, brethren, he gave me the same answer. And I said, that's not acceptable. A loving God would not do that. And so 
you know, th- that was one of the things that was a trigger for me to really dig into God's Word because I knew that all of those people could not just be lost. So, brethren, it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says something else. Turn over to Isaiah 49. Looking at lots of scriptures today, lots of prophecies. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 and verse 8. We'll begin there. Thus says the Eternal, Isaiah 49, verse 8, In an acceptable time I have heard you. In a day, is what it should be, in a day of salvation I have helped you. We have our day now, brethren, but the vast majority of the people in this world are not having their day now. They will have their time. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth. What will your job be, brethren? To restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. And to those who are in darkness, spiritual darkness, maybe physical darkness, you see, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on desolate hills as we read these these scriptures brethren we see that god has a great plan for us and for them and clearly down in time paul was preaching this same truth there's no conflict with the old and the new you see one was physical the other spiritual and here we see paul in second corinthians chapter six explaining this to the people back then and it's recorded for us we can have the benefit of this we understand this and I hope it brings you comfort. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse one. Second <clears throat> Corinthians six, verse one. We then, Paul said, as workers together with him, you know, we use the expression co workers, all of you are workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Wouldn't that be a shame? to misunderstand and to not be able to apply it correctly. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. So clearly, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And certainly it was for those people whose minds were being opened, uh, who the Spirit was working with them and then later in them. So we see. So brethren, all those people who don't know who have lived and died without knowing the plan under Satan's sway, will have their chance. They will be in that greater harvest pictured by the fall harvest. Now, Revelation 20 uh, describes three resurrections, a subject for another day. But I hope that you will review that. It helps put all the pieces of the puzzle together. It is important that we understand that, brethren. It's precious knowledge that we should never, ever take for granted. Isaiah 65. Let's turn back there. This is the scripture that I went over with my Baptist minister, and he he thought I'd lost my mind. He said, you're really reaching for it, Crockett. So that's a direct quote. You're really reaching for it. And I said, well, it's, it, it, that's what it says to me, Brother Pirtle. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to Brother Pirtle. I know what will happen to Brother Pirtle, hopefully. Isaiah 65, verse 17. He says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the holy days point us toward that, brethren. And the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing. It's not that today. It's a pretty tough town to be in today. And her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. Isn't that tragic when a a child dies? nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. That's tragic as well. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Just a beautiful picture 
of prosperity. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. My elect, that's you, brethren, shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall, for they shall be descendants of the blessed of the eternal and their offspring with them. An incredible time. And as I said, brethren, this is very precious knowledge that should never, ever be taken for granted. Now, brethren, let's have the attitude of the psalmist. You know, some of the most beautiful words in the Bible are in the Psalms. We, most of our hymns are based on the Psalms. Not all, but most of them are. And they are beautiful to sing. Let's turn over to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse 1. This is a, a contemplation, it says. I hope we contemplate it, and it means something to us. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants or longs for water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Brethren, you see, the psalmist here is talking about being thirsty. Have you ever been just parched? <laughs> just really parched? And he's talking here about being spiritually thirsty. Do you really look forward to coming to these services and drinking in of the message that's there? That's what the psalmist is talking about, being thirsty for righteousness, spiritually thirsty. An incredible thing, and it's an attitude that we should have. And I know, brethren, that you do. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Another beautiful psalm. We do this in our hymns, wonderful hymns today. Mr. Powell gets the award for quick, quick recovery. You know, you got to be quick on the uptake. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the eternal. We do that, brethren, in our songs, in our opening prayer, our closing prayer, those things. Give thanks to the eternal. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. We do that in our television program, on the Internet, in our publications, and all that we do, making known his deeds among the nations. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. We do that especially on the holy days. Talk of all his wondrous works. I hear that as, uh, as all of you are visiting before services and after services and hopefully not during services. And, um, and you're talking about um, uh, God's works and the things he's done. Look at verse 3. Glory in his holy name. You know, we have special music, uh, often with a refrain that uh, has those sorts of words in it. Glory in God's name. We'll hear that today already, the beautiful music, and this afternoon as well. Let the hearts of those people rejoice who seek the eternal. Seek the Lord. You know, we have a responsibility, brother. We have to put forth some effort. We have to put forth some thought. Seek the eternal and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done. We go over these things and review them. You know, some of you have known these since childhood, and yet it is, it's like a favorite meal. You don't get tired of it, you know. You, you like having it again and later on having it again because it's, it's spiritual food. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant. And brethren, those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ and who have uh, his spirit are all seed of Abraham, spiritually speaking. It's not just a, a racial thing or color thing at all. It's uh, seed of Abraham, all of those who are seeking God and his righteousness. You children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the eternal, our God. His judgments are all in all the earth. Now, most people don't recognize that. They can look at the creation. They can look at the laws, the, the natural laws, and they should realize that there is a great God. This didn't just happen. To look at these beautiful flowers or, uh, or some little animal or some, and say, this evolved. It just makes no sense, you see. <clears throat> it's everywhere, and yet uh, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. Brethren, sometimes as 
we grow older, our memory may forget. Do you ever walk into a room and you get in the room and you say, now, why did I come in here? You had that happen? Have you looked for your glasses all morning and they're on your head? See, as human beings, that happens to us. But you see, God, it's not that way. He remembers His covenant, His agreement forever. Remember that offer and acceptance? He remembers that forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. If my calculations are correct, the Spirit was given 1,978 years ago today. God remembers that through the, the generations. The covenant which He made with Abraham, His oath to Isaac. Brethren, as we read these things, I hope it's inspiring to you. This morning we have reviewed and rehearsed the great things that have happened on this day and the important things that this day pictures. Brethren, as we go from here today with all these things in mind, stir up God's Holy Spirit. Be renewed by it as you walk with God.